going to lie, I'm sitting down there and I'm just thinking to myself, uh, I don't want to get up and ruin this today. <laughs> I feel really inadequate to stand up here uh, when the testimony of what God has done uh, is so clear and so evident. You know, we can't, I can't write those little, on those little piece of papers that they had and Jerry had in his hand and I can't come up with a sermon, uh, you know, and, and if, that's not my words, that's theirs and um, it's power. Because what God can do is power. And what God says and what God declares is power. Um, and apart from him, we are nothing, the scriptures say. Uh, but this is the beautiful part of the story, is that with him we're everything. And he has transformed these people from sinners to saints. He's redeemed them out of brokenness. And I just I felt the need today to say that to somebody in here today that is wondering, like they heard their story up here today. And... Uh, like, that's weird. What a coincidence. I just want you to know that's not a coincidence. I want to be the one to tell you today that uh, that's God. He knew you'd be here today to hear that and to hear the reality uh, that you don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to understand all of the answers to questions. I'm a pastor, uh, and I'm still asking a lot of questions, <laughs> a lot. Um, and I think that the, there's a beautiful part in the scriptures of Mark where, uh, where Jesus is with a man, and he he said he, he was struggling with his belief, and Jesus said, that's the prayer, help my unbelief. And this man believed enough to say, help my unbelief, and God walked with him and journeyed with him. And that's what we're talking about today, just for the next 15 minutes or so, is just a journey. Uh, you, you and I are becoming what God desires and sees for us to become. He has uh, created you, he has made you. He formed you, it says in scriptures, in Psalm 139, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Um, you were delivered here on earth. You were created. You were named by your parents. I see these little, these little kids in here, and uh, the parents named them, and they named you. And you are on this journey, and if you didn't hear the stories today, people are on a travel. They are coming from a place of birth into a family that they were given into a place, into a city, into a country, and there's this journey that we go on, and God has uh, brought us on, and there's a spiritual journey in the middle of this. And God is, you see, I love seeing Jermaine in here and all these different people who are baptizing that were, you know, that God planted them in, into the lives of people. You know, a baptism's not just a story of uh, my story, you know, when I'm getting baptized of what's happened to me, it's a story of the people who are involved, and that's why we stand here today, because there's so many people who play a part in this person's life and story, and I, I just kept looking at you guys the whole time. I'm sorry. I, I, I was just a beautiful to see. I, are you parents of Jerry? I love that. I just love seeing you stand strong with him, and um, it made my heart so soft just to, to see that strength, that unity in your family, and uh, uh, it's their story. They are part of that story. And, uh, and, and it's beautiful what God is doing, but you're becoming something. And he has you on a journey. This is a fancy theological word called sanctification. Uh, it just means that God is making you more like his son Jesus by the day. And uh, there's, a, there's a statue in Rome. I want to show a picture of it here. Uh, there's a statue by Michelangelo. If you ever go to the Vatican, you can see this statue. It's called the Pieta. And it means the pity. And it's this beautiful statue that took years for Michelangelo to create. And it was a piece of marble that he saw. And Michelangelo is quoted, as he's made this picture of the mother and the son, he's quoted as saying, 
um, I could see Jesus in the slab of marble before I began to etch him out. And he said, it was my job to break him free. I saw him. I saw what he would be in the marble, but it was my job to break him free. And this is our story. This is what God is doing. And somewhere along the way and somewhere in our journey, we, we, we lose sight of this. We lose sight that it's ups and downs, it's mountains, it's valleys, it's highs and lows. And some of us, we live a life where we think that it's only at peak level. The problem with that is if any of you have ever been to Aspen and you live on the heights, things don't grow on the heights, okay? You go to Aspen, you get up there on a mountain, trees don't grow up above the certain altitude point. The growth is down in the valley. And so there's, no, there's nothing wrong with being here today and let's cheer and let's be joyful and let's see what God does in our hearts and we're celebrating and we're on a, you know, Jerry's on a pinnacle today, man. You know, he's standing up here talking about what God has done and he's on the top. But man, those 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 people have to walk back down into life tomorrow. And God is with us in the heights, and he's with us in the depths, and he doesn't leave us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And I want us to see today in Scripture, we're going to be in Mark 3. I want you to see what he does with his disciples. Jesus, what he says to them and who they're becoming and how he helps them become and shift into the identity of who they're made to be. God is, doesn't just save us and leave us. He gives us an identity when he brings us into the family. G.K. Chesterton, he's a theologian, he says this. He wrote, uh, we are all under the same mental calamity. We have all forgotten our names. You ever feel that way? I mean, I just forgot who am I? Who am I supposed to be? You know, maybe I'm defined by this thing over here, but... Maybe I say my job or my school or my family, and it becomes the identity of who we are. And we just forget who we are, who our names are. He says, we forget, we've forgotten our names. We have forgotten uh, who we really are. It says area, but uh, it's a typo. (laughs) We forget sometimes. But God has spoken over you. And you may not know this today, but he has spoken a name over you, not the name that your parents gave you. He has spoken a name from him today. And it says this all through scripture. Jeremiah 1.5 says it this way, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you, I knew you. Isaiah 49.2 said, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, and he named my name. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason I bow on my knees before the Father from whom every family and in heaven on earth is named. The question today is, do you believe who you really are? Do you believe who you really are? Not the person, in the, the person we construct every single day in the image, social media picture, who we look like at work, at home. Do you believe who you really are, who God has said you are? the name that God has given you. Ephesians 2.10 says this. He says, we are his workmanship. We were created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That word workmanship, it's the Greek word poema. It's the word, you're a poem. It literally means like you're a symphony. You're a masterpiece. You are a poem. God calls you a poem today. He made you, a master poet made you and calls that to you today. And some of you are like, that's weird. That's okay, what? I'm a poem. What are you talking about here today? The point is, is a beautiful artist has designed you in your life and he's spoken over you. You are unique. 
You are made to be who you are. You are radically individual in Christ. Like you are not meant to be another, just somebody else. You're meant to be you. You're a radical individual. The world right now is screaming at the top of their lungs. They want to be individual. They want radical individuality. There's a pushback against uh, things of authority and structure. And, And what God is saying today is, no, I created you as a radical individual. I made you a beautiful poem. I made you to be unique. And I am breaking out of you day by day and showing you more of the true self of who I have made you to be. Not the self that you're constructing. I want you to hear what I have declared you to be. And so this is where we pick up today. We'll pick up in Mark 3. But before we get there, I want you to see one more verse. Revelation 2.17. Revelation says this, 2.17, to the one who conquers. Your translation might even say to the one who will prevail through this journey up and down. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. That verse tripped me out this week. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? I'm not going to stay here today. I'm, you know, I'm the pastor preacher. I got all the answers. I know. I don't. I don't fully know what that means. At the end of time, that the one who prevails, the one that conquers, that God is going to hand them a white stone with a new name written on it. But George MacDonald he is a, um, he's a ri- Scottish poet, writer. Uh, he was also a mentor to C.S. Lewis. Uh, he said in, in one of his commentaries that he believes that that white stone that will be given by God, the one who prevails, is who God sees that we have become in the end of our life. It'll be a name that says and declares who we have become. And so that God sees us today And he sees who you're going to become at the end of this whole thing, and he speaks a name over you, and he says, now I see who you're becoming, and this is who you are, and at the end of time, I will hand you this white stone, and it will have your name on it, a new name that I have given you, your identity, and this is what we see today in Mark 3. We're going to pick up in verse 6, we're going to read just a few verses, community group leaders, heads up, you got your work cut out for you this week, because we're not going through the whole chapter, all right? You're going to work on this with uh, your community groups this week, but we're going to show you part of this this week, and we're going to walk through verse 6 through verse 19. Let's read this together. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him, Jesus. And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when a great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, Jesus. And he told his disciples, have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's important to remember today. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell to the ground before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make that known. And he went up on the mountain And he called to them those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges. I've never seen that in my life until this week, and it tripped me out. I was like, what? Bonerges, okay? 
That is, it means the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, who we learned last week, his name before Matthew was Levi. And Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. You know, Thaddeus doesn't get any shout outs anymore. You know what I mean? You know, no one just talks about the disciples and talk about Thaddeus, do they? And Simon the Cananean and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. When we pick up the text, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Literally the peak, the pinnacle, to the point he can't enter the town. People are crushing him. He's worried about him being crushed by the people that he tells them, get a boat ready. I'm going to sit on this boat. I'm going to stand out here at the boat. And despite the fact that he had alienated the ruling class, as we saw last week, Jesus was bringing people from all over. This area, Tyre and Sidon, if you look on a map, it's over 100 miles away. It was over 100 miles away. Now remember, this isn't like you're driving up to Dallas, Okay. This, these people were walking this to come see Jesus, and they would walk from all the way up in this area. It was a Gentile region, and they walked all the way to Judea and Jerusalem, which was a Jewish region, and then here they were in Udemea, as it also mentions, in the Galilean area. It was also a multi-ethnic and multi-racial area, and so what we see from the very beginning, Jesus spanned distance. His popularity spanned multi-ethnic racial, racial uh, background. It, sp- it spanned uh, social classes and distinction and rich and poor. And Jesus is blowing up. And this is the thing I want you to see. What does he do in response to his popularity? He goes to a mountain alone with the 12 and he names them apostles and he begins to name them and speak a name over them. It says it in verse 14. It says he appointed 12 whom he named apostles. That word there, uh, named, it's literally nomen. It means he named them, and he says he named them apostles, which means sent ones. He named them the sent ones. I'm sending you. And then he goes on, and he names Simon Peter. He names James and John Thunder, or that other name I said earlier, which I still have difficulty pronouncing, Bonerges. It sounds French to me. I don't know. But anyways, he names them that. We don't know why he names them Thunder, but how crazy and cool would it be if you told people my name was Thunder today? Hi, nice to meet you. Awesome, all right? Point here, Jesus is naming and renaming. Now, in the history of names, if you look in ancient times, people would, if you had a long name, Names spoke importance. It spoke about who you were. And so everybody had a name, right, that everybody, that their parents called them. But then people had personal names, names that, you know, if I knew you well, I would give you this name and only you because we know each other really well, we would share this name with each other, kind of a personal thing. And if you had multiple names and long names, uh, in ancient times, it would, you know, it would show that you were wealthy, you were important. And so if you had this long name, there's multiple dimensions to who you were. And even today, you hear this, you're like, well, yeah, Nick, I get it. That's a long time ago. We don't really do that anymore. Let me tell you, we actually do this still. Names still matter to us. We still give personal names to each other. I know this because some of you who are married in here or have been dating or engaged at the moment, you have pet names for each other right now. Yeah, amen? I didn't hear any amens on that one, did I? You have pet names for each other, and if I heard those pet names today, you would be like, oh, gosh, he wasn't supposed to know that. It was privileged information, Right? It's like, uh, can, I, can I be vulnerable with y'all for five seconds? Yeah. Yeah. I, I needed to hear that to give me permission to do this. Um, my mother, uh, y'all listen, don't email me. Uh, you cannot use this. But my mother, my name is Nick, calls me Nikki. 
What? I ain't scared. I'll tell y'all that. I'm not scared of y'all. She calls me Nikki. Why? Because, and only she can use it. If y'all use it, we're going to have some problems, okay? But she uses that because it's this personal, it conveys this meaning of like, she's got this special ability and power to say that, and it conveys this closeness. And so there's this idea that the name has a shaping power. You have nicknames. The, the, the more we hang with each other, the more we create nicknames with each other. Uh, some of y'all name your cars. Why would you name a car? Some of y'all go, oh, her name's Lexi, and she's Alexis, and you're like, why would you do that? Because there's this connection there, right? Uh, celebrities even do this. They have changed their names. Literally, if you go just Google today, celebrities who have changed their names, your mind will be blown. Your mind is going to be blown. Like, you love the music of Peter Hernandez, right? Bruno Mars. Hey, there we go. Bruno Mars. Bruno, he changed, because Peter Hernandez just doesn't have the same ring as Bruno Mars, am I right? Uptown Funk does not sound good, I, maybe coming from Peter Hernandez. I don't know, he changed his name. He thought it sounded better. Uh, some of us who are maybe in the older generation, uh, do you know that, who Reginald Dwight is? Anybody? Elton John. Come on! Yes, Elton John. Because, look, Sir Reginald Dwight sounds very English, but Elton John sounds cool, am I right? He changed the name a little bit on us. Oh, how about this one, Marion Michael Morrison? John Wayne, because America cannot have a cowboy named Marion, am I right? <laughs> Maybe today, in this day and age, we can have that, but not anymore in the past, right? You change this name because names have a shaping power, and humans do this all the time, but our power only goes to a certain extent. It only goes to a certain way. The difference when you name something is you're describing it or you're creating it, but when God names something, he determines what it is. He is saying it is this. And this is what he's done in scripture. In Genesis, you see this. In Genesis, he names the light light. He doesn't just think it up. He says it will be, I created light, and it, he called it light. He calls, he says he names the sea the sea. He names it dark. He names it day. And you go through it, and you're like, why is he telling us about all this name? Because God is determining what it's going to be. And he begins to walk through, and he determines it. And then he does this crazy thing. He gives the humans, Adam and Eve, the ability to name stuff. Why? Parents, um, those of you who have dogs and you have kids or, or kittens, like if you ever were to give your kids or, or bring a dog into your family, I want to encourage you, uh, give the dog to your kid and, and have them name it. Why? Because if they name it, they'll carry responsibility over it. They will. They'll see it as theirs. And this is what God does. He hands the earth to us and he tells Adam and Eve, he says, begins to tell them, name things, own that thing, be over it, have responsibility over it. And this is what happens. But when, but when God names something, he determines something. So when you see here in the scriptures, it says that he appointed 12. He appointed 12. That word appointed, if you just circle that in your text and see it, it literally means he created 12. The same word that an artist would use for a painting. He created 12. He made them. And this is phenomenal news today. Because he didn't just call the disciples in and say, okay, bam, go do what I called you, change the world. And by the way, the well church today, you are a result of 12 disciples who went and planted churches, crossed boundaries of nations, went into places, began to plant churches. And the well is here today because 12 men were faithful with their calling that God gave them. That's a wild thought today, by the way, people. If you don't realize you are a part of a way bigger story than what you think, that's an amazing thing. But this is the best news, is he didn't just bring them in. He made them what they were. They became. 
He created. He walked with them. And they became what they were made to be. They received this identity. So if God says today to you, and you read in Scripture, you're beautiful, he's determined you're beautiful. Nobody else, some of you in here today are living under the names of what somebody else has said or what another voice has said. But God, when he says you're beautiful and you think you're ugly, I'm sorry, you're beautiful because when God names, he determines. If God says today to you that you are strong and you're over here thinking I'm weak, you're strong. You want to have a great exercise this week in your time with the Lord? Go to Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 17 and just see everything he calls you. He says, you are chosen, you are holy. If God says you're holy, some of you in here don't feel holy, and you're following Jesus, and you have a faith, and a walk with Jesus, and you need to hear today that when God said you are holy, you are holy. You don't argue with the creator. You don't argue with the one who determined that light would be called light, and that day would be called day, and night would be called night, and you were to be called beautiful, holy, chosen, redeemed, forgiven. It's your identity, and he's determined it. Yeah, you can clap. It's all right. That actually got me fired up too. So not for me, for God. (laughs) Yes, you can. This is what God does. What he names, he declares. And what he names and declares, he owns. And he holds on to it. So there's a story uh, in Luke 16. It's a parable. And if you've ever been to church, you see this in the parable, that there's a man, a rich man named Lazarus, and they're talking in a parable about the future life. And it says that he's in the presence of God, this Lazarus. But there's a rich man, and he's looking up, and he's seeing what's going on with this man named Lazarus. And commentators forever have wondered, why does Lazarus get a name, but this rich man just called the rich man? And one commentator said it this way. He says, if you Make your identity into something. If your self becomes, your identity becomes that thing that you've given everything to, that, and you lose that thing at the end of your life, that is where your identity was. And so for, for many of us, like this man, our, the identity was in his wealth. He was the rich man. He said, I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm gonna give everything I have, and he began to make his self, his identity, who he was, his name was all about his wealth. And so in the end, the commentators are saying, the reason they've given Lazarus a name, his proper name, is because that was the name God gave him. But this man's name was in his wealth. His identity was in his wealth. And he begins to show you that what you place, what names you, owns you. Where you get your identity from, it owns you. And Jesus says there's another way I can give you a new name. I can hand you a white stone, and I can give you a new name, an identity that will not fail you, that will last you after this life. This is what he tells us, and he encourages hopeful. It's so hopeful. He says, um, not only did the apostles get a name, but you get a name. You get a name today, Christian. The Lord is speaking a name over you, your identity, who you're becoming and so when he says in Revelation 2.17, to the one that overcomes, I give him a white stone with a new name written known only to the one that receives it. He's saying to you today, I'm going to give you your identity. I'm going to show you who you are. I'm going to walk with you in who you are. And only you will know what your identity is in me. There's this relationship that happens, that occurs. And in us, in our relationship, I give you a name. We have this relationship. And you will know who you are. And then he says this, the good shepherd He calls his sheep by name. He calls you by name, and you know his voice. These are the promises to my friends today who are getting baptized and declaring today, I want to follow Jesus with my life. 
God says, I'm going to give you a new identity. And you're like, well, then how do I get it? How do I begin to get it? Now, this is the thing. I'm, I'm a little, uh, I don't know what like, it's funny, theologically, doctrinally, I don't know um, if you, I don't like to be put into like a label or a category in a lot of ways. Uh, I could come speak to you about, you know, my theological beliefs and where I am. Uh, I'm a little charismatic at times. I'm, I'm, I'm reformed in some ways. I'm, I kind of call myself Baptist Presbycostal at times, all right? I'm a little bit all over the place in some ways, but my theology lines up, all right? In that, I would tell you today, uh, I believe the Lord speaks to us, okay? I believe he speaks to our heart. My sheep hear my voice. And they know my voice. And some of you out there, you have voices of uh, many different voices speaking to you. I'm telling you, the Lord says you will know my voice. And I believe this. Even if today you were to ask the Lord, what is my name? Tell me my name. What is my identity? If it like floated out of the sky on a piece of paper right before you, I'm telling you, it wouldn't matter in the moment. Because just like Jesus gave Peter his new name, It took Peter's whole life for him to understand that he was the rock, that God had made him and he was becoming a rock, that Simon was his name. He said, no, your new name, Peter, and the whole life of Peter, I mean, that's so ironic when you look at the life of Peter, am I right? Like, here's the guy who was the most shaky dude who flees, right, and denies Jesus three times. This is who we build the church on, right, that we begin, this is the, the guy who Jesus supposedly handed the keys over to build the church, Right? He was the beginning. Jesus called him a rock, and it took him his whole life to understand that. And so the way you receive your name, your identity, the way you grow, Christian, in your identity today is over time with Jesus. It takes time. It's mountains. It's valleys. It's highs. It's lows. It's hard days. It's great days. It's all of this together. And God is telling you more and more, the more you walk with him, the more you journey with him, who you are in him. He, yeah, I love it. If you either clap or you don't clap, I can't, it's too awkward for me if we don't. So we just got to clap for that or not, you know, uh, we can give God praise because here's the deal. It's really weird for me when like one person claps, I'm like, uh, it just pulls me off, but um, not to scare you from clapping, but uh, I love it. So, okay, this is the thing. As much as, this is the last thing I'll tell you, Jesus tells us here in this what, what it looks like to continue journeying with him. And he literally shows us in this text, and I want you to see us, we'll close out on this. He gives three things here to receive your identity and to continue to grow in your identity, to receive your new name. As much as you are willing to do these things that he shows us here in the text, to the degree, the hours, the years, to the one who overcomes, right? The one who continues to the degree you're which and willing to do this, you will find out the name that is on that stone. You will understand more about your identity in him. And these are the things we see. One, he sends them. He calls them apostles and he sends them out. They're going to show up here on the screen. Two, he places them in a community. Okay? And three, they spend intimate time with Jesus. This is the first part. One, he sends them. He calls them apostles. Christian, you need to hear this today. Guys and girls who are just baptized, you need to hear this. The Lord has not saved you to let you sit still. The Lord has not saved us just for Sundays. The Lord has saved us to send us. You have purpose in your life. God has placed you where you are. Only you, Jerry, are in your office, are in your place, in your specific area. And God has placed you there not to have all of the answers, not to get it all right and to figure it all out. But he has placed you there. He has sent you out. You've been saved to be sent. He is sending people out today. 
And as we go and we're sent, we're called to serve people with our life. We're called to give our life away. Matthew 10, 39 says this. It says, uh, let's see if it'll pop up here. For whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Translation, give yourself away and don't expect anything in return, and you'll find everything you're looking for. Go love people. Go seek to care for others, and as you care for others, you will find out who I made you to be. As you go out and serve people, and I send them out. By the way, he sent them out to do what? To preach the truth, to speak truth over people. You see in people what they're becoming. You see it. You know it. And so much of us, we talked a little bit about this last week, spend so much time telling people what they're not, when in reality, if we would just speak what we see they're becoming, man, we would lift people and carry people. But God sends them out to speak the truth, to preach the truth. But then also it says to cast out demons. Now here's the problem with the book of Mark. Every single week it's about casting out demons. So we'll get to that one week. Don't worry. We're not going to get to it this week. But what he's saying there is I've sent you to unbind them from their chains. And God has given you purpose. And I'm telling you, even as I look out to you today, some of y'all look at me like, not me. And I see it on your faces. You don't believe me when I say that. You don't believe me when I say that God has made you and that as you go to serve and you're sent to serve, you don't believe me that I say that God may be sending you to serve so that you can learn what you're good at, what you're not good at, but maybe also so that you can actually learn that you are able to impact a life by caring them, caring for them. This is what God does. He sends us. Two, he places us into a community. I love this because... Um, Jesus, he created him, he brought the 12 together, and if you really do more background work, you see there's all of these different people. There's a guy like Levi who worked for the Roman government that was oppressing the Jewish people, and then he brought another guy who was rioting against the Roman government and leading revolt, a zealot, and he sits him at a table, and he says, hey, be a family, and he begins to show them what it looks like to do life together. Look in this room right now. Look at the people, the difference in age, the difference in race, the difference in, some of y'all live on different parts of town, some socioeconomic statuses. This is the beauty of what God does. He brings us, he puts us in a community, and when you get close to somebody, tension does happen. Hello, family members here today. You, you know, you're here to cheer people on today, but you understand, families have tension. Why? Because you get close, and when things get close, friction occurs. But what happens? You learn more about yourself. You learn the areas of your life that need to be sharpened, that need to be grown, and people speak truth about you, and you can tell somebody the closer you are to them and the more intimacy you have with them, where they can grow, and you begin to see more of this identity in your true self. So he sends you, he places you in a community, and the very last thing he does is he says, be intimately involved with me. He says this, verse 14 again, he appointed the 12, he created the 12 whom he named sent ones so that they might be with him and that he might send them to preach and to cast out demons. The last part of this is you were created and you continue to find more of who you are in Christ as you spend time with the Lord, as you're intimately, closely involved with him. Y'all, some people in here today don't know what I mean when I say that, and that's okay. You're on a journey but I'm telling you, my encouragement is to get into a community where you can ask that question, what do you mean by relationship with God? What do you mean by walking intimately with him? Charles Spurgeon had a sermon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon is a famous uh, preacher from the 19th century, and he had a sermon uh, where he talks about the parable of the lost son. 
And, he, and, and the sermon's title is called The Kiss of the Father, and he preached the sermon on just three words. The three words that he preached the whole sermon on were, uh, and kissed him. And the story is, in the parable of the son, is, that the, is the son runs away. We heard it today. Like, uh, someone said this in their testimony, that they ran from God and God pursued them. And when they came back, the father embraced them, even though he spent all of his money, all of his wealth, and he essentially told his family, I don't want anything to do with you. And he ran away, and God still was with him. And he comes back. His father sees him and runs to him, embraces him, and kissed him. And, and, and Spurgeon's whole sermon on this was he was saying it's unbelievable to see the love of God. It's unbelievable to see how much he loves him. And he says this, some of us know what it's like to be too happy to live. The love of God has been so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we almost had to ask God to stop the delight because we could endure no more. If God had not shielded his love and his glory a bit, we believe we could not have stood it. Have you ever had an experience like that? Do you know God this way? Do you know Jesus? Some of you know that, and you're like, where was that? Where's that mountaintop again? This is it. The more you spend with him, the more time you spend with him, the more you will see your true self, the more you will see your identity. And this is where we'll close out today. What is our problem then? Why is it so difficult? I think it's the same reason that it was difficult for Jesus. The crowds began to crush in. The people began to come, and they rallied around him so much that he was crushed. And here we are, very good-looking people in this room, very gifted. Some of the brightest minds in the United States of America sit in this room and in this city, in a booming tech city. And some of us are at one of the best colleges in the entire nation. And our, yeah, I can say that, hook them horns, all right? A&M's a great college, too. We love them, all right? Some of y'all went there. But you're at these places, and what are you doing? You're pursuing things, rightfully so, to become something. And you're adding things to your resume, and you're working in this job, and you move to this job, and you're padding this resume in a right way, because that's what we're supposed to do. But some of us are padding it to create ourself. And God is going to be here today to tell you that when we throw all of that in there, it will crush into us to the point where he is telling you today, if you want to grow, the more you are willing to walk with him, to serve him, and to be in a community with him and others, is the more you'll understand who you were made to be. And all the while, we just let things and busyness take our life. I don't want to speak that over you today. Maybe you're not that person. Let me speak that over myself. All the while, that's what happens in my life, is that I... I flood my life with things. I've got so many distractions. I'm wearing five of them today. A watch, a phone, an iPad. I mean, we have all these distractions pulling at us and trying to pull us away from learning and growing and walking in our true self. And just like Jesus, we, had, we have to pull away. And somehow we cram in church here. We get here on a Sunday and we like the music and we like a sermon and that, that's it for us. But I'm telling you today, I want you to hear, if you're too busy to serve, if you're too busy to walk intimately in community with people, if you're too busy to be with Jesus intimately, you will never find out what's written on your stone the way that God wants you to. You will run around and you will look for other things to tell you what your true self is. The contrast to Jesus' naming and having intimacy in this community is Jesus went up and he got away and he created time and he created solitude. And so it's through our depth of solitude, y'all, it's through our depth of community and it's through our depth of serving that we find out who we really are made to be. 
And some of y'all, I'm looking at you, you've done that for me. And we've done that for each other. And this is what we are called into today. So when we stand here today, Jerry, and everybody else, I just say Jerry because I can see you right here. When you stand here and proclaim today, we're proclaiming what God has done. But it's just the beginning. He has a journey for you. He's wanting to bring out the reality of who you are in him. And he's speaking a name over you today. And he wants to show you that. I'll end with this. How is it all possible? Well, it's possible because Moses, he, he went up on a mountain, okay? Moses goes up on a mountain. And in Exodus 32, he goes up on the mountain and he proclaims on the mountain. Uh, he pulls together the tribes. He pulls together all of the 12 tribes, the nations, and he tells them, uh, we're gonna make you a new nation, right? And then he says this. He goes up on the mountain. He's presenting them before God. And he says this, now please forgive my people of their sin. He's worried about their sin. And he says, if not, then blot me out of the book of life, is what he says. And God doesn't do it. Because why? Because Moses wasn't a perfect man. But here's the story of Jesus. Jesus goes up on a mountain. He takes 12. He begins to name them. And you know what he says? He walks up a mountain to Calvary. And he says, Lord, blot my name out. Forsake me for the sake of them. So that they will hear that their name is written in the book of life, the name that I will give them, the identity, the relationship with me. Jesus did it all. And he did it because he wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know your name and your identity today. And he blotted his name out so that you could have a relationship with God. He took on sin and became the perfect one, became one who would take the wrath of God for you so that you could be in this relationship, so that you would pay the cost that you owed God because you ran from him and disobeyed him and, and didn't live up to his expectation, and Jesus did it all for you. He fulfills it all. He takes it on, and he walks up a mountain and says, believe in me. Come to me, all you're weary, just like last week, and I'll give you the rest. I'll give you the rest and the relationship with God. This is our story. This is what he calls you in. And you, some of you in here today, you may not know him, and I want you to know you can. You don't have to get it all right and get it together. You simply open your hands today and say, Lord, I want you to speak over me today who I am. I want to know you. I want to walk in a relationship. You heard it today, y'all. Everybody didn't have it all together to get it right. But there was a moment where they said, I've come to the end of myself and my creating my, who I am. I want to know who you say I am. And they gave their life in open surrender. And they didn't get it all figured out. I love the people who said that. I don't have all the answers. But they began the journey. And I'm here to tell you today, you can begin that journey. You can walk with Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We are so grateful for you. God, I, I, uh, I just know that there's somebody in here today that doesn't believe that even when I still say it today. They're unsure today whether or not they've got things, they need to get things right or they, maybe they want questions answered and I just want to let them know that's okay. That they don't have to make a decision right now to follow you and walk with you but I want them to hear today that you will keep chasing them and you will keep pursuing them and I pray that they know that 
At any time, they can come to you with open arms and open hands and say, I need you. I want to know my real identity. I want to know my real self. I want to know my name in you. And for my other brothers and sisters in here today that are following you, I pray that you would put on their heart today, that they would hear what area, Lord, what area are you in love calling them into? Are you calling them into serving, to giving themselves away? Are you calling them more into a community group, maybe one of the 14 groups that we have in this town even? Are you calling them to live closer with people? Or maybe you're just calling them today to figure out how to make priority at time again with you, where they find themselves sitting with you, they hear from you, and they learn more about who they are. God, I pray you'd speak the truth of the identity over my brothers and sisters today. I pray they would walk out of here knowing that that is where life is found. I pray that they would know that they are deeply, deeply loved and valued, so much so that you'd give your life for them. Continue to show us that, God. Continue to show us how we're not the same people we were five years ago and that you, like a good father, are growing us and changing us. It's in your beautiful name we pray, amen.